76. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So, man, this is the first day of the book of Isaiah, and I'm super excited because, you know, Isaiah is what many people would say is the fourth gospel. Right. So it's it's, um, you know, one of the largest books in the Bible, Old Testament book. And it's actually the book uh, that's quoted the most and alluded to the most throughout the New Testament. So when the people of God, the apostles talk about the person and work of Jesus, right, they primarily pull mostly from Isaiah. And so Isaiah is so rich and full and good and sometimes hard to understand just because of context. So uh, we'll lay out that. And his basic message is that he is providing the people of God hope through suffering. Hope comes through suffering and repentance. That's the message of the book of Isaiah in a line. Right. Um, And there's nuance to it. But that's the message of the book of Isaiah. Just a little bit about the prophets. The prophets were preachers, right? In a sense, they were very much preachers and they weren't innovative, right? So in other words, all the prophets are going to do from Isaiah all the way down to Malachi, they're going to apply the covenant, the old covenant, the Deuteronomic covenant to their historical time period. That's all they're going to do. So they're going to indict. They're going to uh, bring prophecies of judgment prophecies of hope, all these things, but they're not saying anything new technically, right? They're just saying and bringing forth and applying God's word to God's people in their particular time, right? And it often has to do with sin, judgment, repentance, and then from there, hope, restoration, and exaltation, right? So that's all Isaiah is doing. So if you look at the text in Isaiah 1, it says, yo, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. So if you remember First uh, and Second Kings with us, uh, you remember some of those names. And basically the prophets were prophesying at that time. We mentioned that then. Just because they come at the end of the Old Testament canon, at the end of the uh, Old Testament, doesn't mean they come after first and second Kings, right? They come at the same time, right? So Isaiah is prophesying in this time and he comes and he's talking to Judah in Jerusalem for like the first 12 chapters, right? So he goes on and say, yo, the ox knows its owner and the donkey, its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Basically he comes out and says, yo, God is upset. He basically compares their intelligence and their understanding to that of animals. Yo, even an animal knows, right? If if some of y'all have a dog, even an animal knows who feeds them. And he's saying, the way you guys are behaving, you're acting like you don't even know who I am, right? So he says in 11, what are all your sacrifices to me? Asked the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you? This trampling of my court. Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. One of the major themes of Isaiah and the prophets is that God, this is so good. God deeply despises empty religion, 
right? He despises empty religion that goes through all of the ritualistic motions of sacrifice, temple worship, celebration of festivals, the whole nine yards, but that's accompanied with idolatry and oppression and neglects of those on the margins of society. That Those two mixed together are an abomination to the Lord, right? Those are reprehensible to him. And this is such a good word for us because it's like, yo, fam, we can do evangelism. We can stay in our Christian bubbles for and have community, quote unquote. We can go to worship. We can have time in our Bible in the morning. We can listen to podcasts. But when it's accompanied with beating on the backs or neglecting the beating of the backs of the innocent, God is not pleased with us, right? In other words, he's saying, yo, you can't be so highly selective of which commands of mine you wish to obey, right? All of this for Isaiah is found in the law, Genesis to Deuteronomy. He's like, yo, this is all there, but y'all only want to do the things that, um, you know, don't really require a true sacrifice, right, from you. So God isn't pleased, and he's going to make that known over and over and over. And so, yeah, Isaiah 2 comes, and what you'll realize, man, reading the book of Isaiah, you know, it's like driving in the car with Pastor Richard. So for those of you who go to Cornerstone, you know who Pastor Richard is. For those of you who don't, he's one of our pastors, and he ebbs and flows suddenly and violently in directions you probably don't expect him to when he's driving, right? Uh, however, like Richard's driving, knowing this upfront about the book of Isaiah, how it goes back and forth, back and forth uh, to his time, to the future, from his time to the future, helps you understand it, right? So in, in Isaiah 2, 2, he's going to say, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and we and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So basically, he's just saying, yo, a ton can be said about this passage, but he's just saying, yo, um, you know, in the last days. So the last days, once again, is a major theme you're going to see throughout the prophets. They're going to say in the last days, in the last days, in the last days. And they're pointing to the future, right? And sometimes it's the future, yeah, immediately, 8th century BC. But sometimes it's talking about the coming of Jesus, <laughs> right? Future. And then sometimes it's talking about the end of time. And so in context, you have to see those things. But um, he's just saying here, man, you know, Israel won't just go to uh, Jerusalem for all the festivals and feasts and uh you know, all those sorts of things, but all of the nations will too at some point. And this is a part of a future expectation. Yes, that even the Gentiles will be saved. And Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the Gentiles, right, and his epistles is going to um, come back to Isaiah and say, yo, God been saying this, man. What are y'all talking about? Um, and so, yeah, he's talking about the mountain of the Lord's temple. Um, and the way it's functioning here in the narrative, what, what Isaiah is trying to tell the people in his specific time, he's like, yo, fam, house of Jacob, you have a choice to be in what the Lord is going to do for his kingdom, right? This is what he's, this is what he's ultimately doing and the balls in your court and the way you guys are behaving and turning to idols right now, it doesn't seem like you want to be a part of this worldwide mission that God is calling you to be a part of, right? And, um, you know, man, one of the things chapter two says is that God is judging Israel because of their pride and false worship of idols, man. And we will see all throughout the prophets, once again, God is going to humble them, right? God is going to humble those who exalt themselves in pride, but he humbles those 
uh, he's going to humble those who exalt themselves and exalt those who humble themselves, right? And that's the pattern of redemption. Idols are useless. The people of Israel worship my idols. And it's probably too late, <laughs> going to be too late when they realize how empty their idols are. Chapter three, he keeps letting them know, right? Like he's like, yo, <laughs> it's not going to be pretty for you guys, right? So in the beginning of chapter three, he's going to say like, yo, everything that makes for a stable and secure society will be taken from you, right? Leaders in law and order, national figures, people of influence, etc., right? God's judgment is going to come from the top down, right? So in other words, what he's saying is, man, it's because of there is corruption there as well. It's not just the common folk, right? It's the leaders as well, right? So he was going to say, yo, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because they have spoken and acted against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. And then he'll say, yo, the Lord brings this charge against the elders and leaders of his people. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies. And basically, man, all of these social sins that Isaiah and all of these prophets are going to call out, the misuse of power and status to take unlawful advantage of weaker people, these practices show that, yeah, Israel's or Judah's specifically leaders are irresponsible, are selfish, right? Um, but what he's really saying is, man, these social breakdowns that you guys are having have a spiritual genesis, right? They have a spiritual root, right? It's because you guys have turned against the Lord that you guys are doing this, right? And, you know, Israel, again, guys, the, those with power and status in Israel, part of their responsibility was to defend the poor and helpless, right? People who could not defend themselves. And for us today, ain't nothing changed, bro. <laughs> ain't nothing changed, right? It's the same thing today. And if we are neglecting those things, in the same way that God was displeased with Israel and Judah in this text, He's probably displeased with us as well. Isaiah 4. So he goes back to restoration here in chapter 4. So he says, verse 2, On that day, the branch of the Lord right, will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of Israel's survivors. Whoever remains in Zion and whoever um, is left in Jerusalem will be called holy. All in Jerusalem written in the book of life when the lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of zion and cleansed the blood guilt from the heart of jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning then the lord will create a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing flame of fire by night over the entire state of mount zion and over its assemblies for there will be a canopy over all the glory and there will be a shelter for shade from heat by day and a refuge and shelter from storm Rain. So, in other words, Isaiah, once again, is pointing to the future. And this branch of the Lord language, once again, used all throughout Isaiah, it is basically a precursor and pointing forward to the Messiah. Jesus is the branch of the Lord that is going to rise up and be beautiful. So, Isaiah is speaking about the future future, the coming of Christ, and the consummation of the kingdom. But he is also talking about something that will happen after exile. 
Judah's going to go to Babylon. Israel's going to go to Assyria. And he's saying, after the exile, this is going to happen. And God says, some will be left in Zion. Guess what? Judgment's going to come, right? But God is going to bring salvation through judgment, right? And some of us will be called holy. We'll share God's holiness, and it will be written in the book of life. We know that from Revelation, and that language is used in the New Testament a ton. And he says he will cleanse his people, and his presence will be with them in the fire, in the cloud, pointing back to Exodus. And what he's saying is, look, God is the holy one who always brings his judgment through suffering, not uh, without suffering, right? But the good thing, the good news of the gospel for us as Christians is that God brings salvation through judgment, but the judgment falls on Jesus, right? The judgment doesn't fall on Christians. It falls on Christ. Here in Israel, they would experience exile. People would go off into exile and some would never return back home, right? But for us, by God's grace, Jesus is going to experience a spiritual exile on the cross and we can come home and be with God forever. That's good news. That's what Isaiah is really getting at in many, many ways. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace to us. Uh, we pray that um, we will remember you, Father, um, that we wouldn't turn from you, that we would not neglect the poor um, because to neglect the poor is to neglect you. God, keep us from empty religion that selectively obeys things that really don't cost us much. Help us to pay the entire council of God.